Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Day two of the Bruce Arians Family Foundation golf event was underway at Innisbrook. That happened on Monday. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, even Todd Bowles stopped by to talk to the media. We asked about the players' decision not to participate in the offseason workouts, which were to begin Monday. We'll tell you what they all said. And what would be best for the Bucks to do in the draft? Remember, they picked 32nd, could move up, down, stay where they're at. Is there a head coach in waiting on his current Bucks staff when Bruce Arians decides to retire? And can the Deadon baseballs be blamed for some of the defensive miscues, not just with the Rays, but other teams as well? Will Tyler Johnson for the Lightning be a healthy scratch come the playoffs? We've got all your mailbag questions answered 100% correctly on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Before we get to your questions, uh, the monsoon was uh, in, in full order out there at Innisbrook. We kind of dodged the drops a little bit. They did decide to tee off. I'm not sure as we do this podcast how many holes they will get in. Um, but, you know, golf is one of those sports that you play as long as there's not thunder and lightning or, or just an absolute, you know, uh, wrath of God flood someplace, you know, you're going to be able to play. What's the old and, saying is, uh, you know, if it starts thundering and lightning, just hold up a one iron because not even God can hit that. <laughs> not even God can hit the one iron, yeah. <laughs> Um, that's when, you know, I'm really bad at golf. That's why I don't play that much. But when I do, what's always entertaining is, is, uh, I spend a lot of time on the beach, as they say, in the sand, but if it rains enough, then it just becomes another water hazard. (laughs) So (laughs) there's, there's really nothing you can do. It's like, well, now my ball's floating. What am I supposed to do here? I play army Um, golf left, right, left, left, right. right. Mm, Yeah. I do that a lot too. Um, believe me, sometimes, sometimes left, right and retreat, backwards but um but yeah you know look i i was impressed by the turnout apparently uh they raised more money in this event than the foundation has ever raised which is really amazing considering it's the first year uh, it has been in tampa you know um they had done it in arizona obviously and it's for such a great cause guardian ad litems and 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 you know uh, places like casa and different uh areas uh, and and i guess it was kind of neat at the uh, program on sunday night uh, you know, they talked about becoming a guardian, and um, they actually got ten people, which is a pretty good amount given the uh, the attendance they had. But they got ten people to commit to doing it, you know, to helping um, kids in in various uh, situations, mentor them, uh, become guardians for them, etc. Uh, and it's it's you know it's quite a commitment, but there's a lot of different ways to do it. And you know, you got to credit. Really, it's Bruce's wife, Christine, that has been involved with this really going back to the 90s. And some of her earliest uh, kids um, have, you know, certainly benefited from from her mentorship and have gone on and uh, graduated from college. And some of them have families and they still stay in touch. And it's really neat. So you can really impact somebody's life that way. And uh, it's good work that the Arians Family Foundation did and a great turnout. Uh, from the people in Tampa Bay who I'm sure, you know, wanted to get close as we did, as the media did after a year to 
some of the Super Bowl players like quarterback Tom Brady uh, that we got a chance to talk to on Sunday. Um, you know, Jason Pierre-Paul was there, and as I mentioned in the open, uh, Mike Evans, who doesn't wasn't going to play golf, uh, managed to decide to fly from his home in Galveston, uh, Texas area, uh, to Tampa through that wicked uh, front that stalled over us, and and came out with very little sleep and just to just to rub elbows, just to uh, see people and talk to them. And it was really neat, you know, talking to Chris Godwin and and Mike and and, and some of those guys. Um, and we can get into you know just what their plans are for the off season because we know that the players put out a statement through the NFLPA that they. They're not going to participate uh, right now. But what's cool about it is you think about what they've just been through. They went through a whole year, and there were maximum of maybe 16,000 fans or so uh, until they got to the Super Bowl. I think there was 25,000 watching their games. And, 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 you know, at the beginning of the season, there were no fans. But even then, um, just that little bit of fans, you know, gave them a little bit of boost and some pep in their step and all that. But outside of – the stadium outside of, of those three hours on Sunday or Monday or Thursday, whenever they played, they couldn't have any, any interaction with anybody except their families. And, you know, they were, they were essentially, you know, it was work and home. That was the sacrifice they made to each other and they all kept it. And I think they managed COVID very, very well. There were uh, very few cases um, and certainly not a lot of games missed as a result. Um, but because of that, they had no interaction. Really, you know, you live in a community, but you're not going out anymore. You're not going to dinner. You're not uh, at stores and things like this. And so um, they really didn't get that feedback. Well, now, of course, as a Super Bowl champion, you get all the feedback in the world. And it's been interesting that, you know, even though Evans was, you know, a six-time and now seven-time 1,000-yard uh, receiver uh, to start his career and Chris Godwin – you know, led the team, you know, in 2019 with 1,300 yards and, and all of this, because they weren't on national TV, because they weren't the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers, they didn't get quite as much attention. And But now they are. And, uh, you know, some guys like like Chris, you know, goes to Whole Foods and he's getting recognized. And, and not not that they, you know, they're not looking to, to create a conga line for autographs or anything, but um, they you turn on the TV, you hear – um, you know, good morning football. You hear a bunch of ESPNs and others talking about the Bucks, talking about their players, talking about guys coming back and all 22 starters. And so they really are still in this basking in the glow of what they've accomplished. Now, at some point, you know, we're only eight weeks away from the Super Bowl, um, you know, being won by them. And we're still closer to that than we are the start of another season. But at some point, they'll have to turn their attention to starting over. Uh, and it's a difficult thing to do, you know, because you, 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 especially when you have the exact same team, right? Like there's really not a lot of differences in terms of the personnel. There'll be some some additions, you know, Giovanni Bernard and the rookies and some of the guys like that. Um, but for the most part, they have the same group. But at some point, they have to, as Bruce Arians has said, um, realize that they're at the bottom of the mountain again. They haven't won a damn thing. Last year's team did, and and many, if not. Most of, of this year's team is last year's team, but you've got to start all over. And, and, you know, it's not really trying to defend the title. It's trying to win one again. And that's a, that's a different mentality. So um, it was fun to see those guys. I, I think, you know, in talking to Godwin, talking to Mike Evans, when, when Tom, what it comes down to is this. <laughs> um, because of the NFL protocols and everything, you're, 
you have different phases of the off-season program, and most of it is virtual in terms of meetings and stuff like that anyway. You can go on the field at some point with a position coach or two. Um, but for the most part, until the middle of May, as Bruce Arians reminded all of us, you know, there's not a lot of field work anyway. Uh, you just simply can't do it. So we'll see where they're at at that point. We'll also see, you know, it comes down to when does Tom Brady want to throw? I mean, you know, as long as as long as Tom has kind of got the knee rehabbing and he can't get out there, there's not a ton of urgency, at least for the for the offensive players, you know, to go out there and run routes because they know, um, you know, just in talking to them, Mike Mike Evans says Tom Brady's passing camps are harder than training camp, <laughs> so um, which is saying something because I've I've seen what what training camp is like, but you know, as he said, it's a lot earlier too. Uh, he gets them up at six thirty-seven in the morning, but um, you know it, it's just it's it's interesting watching uh, these players interact with fans for the first time, really, um, since they won the Super Bowl, or the first time, you know, when the world stopped uh, back last, you know, a year ago in March. So kind of cool, kind of a cool event. Glad they raised a lot of money. Too bad the weather sucked, but hey, we can't have nice things. All right, we got a lot of questions today in our mailbag. Let's get to them. All right, we'll start with Jake, who asked, what would be best for the Bucks during the draft? Moving up for a better player this year? Moving down for more players next year? Or staying put in drafting whoever falls? You know, they obviously uh, can do any of those, and, and it's hard to know specifically what they will do until you see in any given moment in time what players that, that would entice them either to move up or what deals might entice them to perhaps move down and get more draft picks either for this year or next year. I would say this, and I've done some thinking about it. Um, you know, when you return 22 starters, and then let's be honest, they're not all guaranteed to make the football team. We're a long way from September. Uh, there are going to be injuries. So the mere fact that there's going to be 22 names on a piece of paper that are the same 22 that you ended the year with doesn't necessarily mean that, that they're going to be in a position to keep their jobs or win their jobs or hold on to their jobs. So a lot can change, right? But, but nonetheless, um, that's the plan. And when you have, you know, th- these are quality guys, right? So not, nobody's going to come in as a rookie, I don't think, and is going to just, you know, beat out Indomitian Sioux. You know, definitely at the end of his career, he's signed three one-year deals. He's 34, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, um, Indomitian Sioux is going to get the biggest bite of the apple to, to play defensive tackle, you know, next to Vita Vea. So you go down the roster and you realize that, you know, th- those starting jobs are, are pretty, pretty cemented for the most part. Um, that being the case, you know, and they do have the luxury of, of not being hostage to a given position, but they have needs. They, they, they do want to address needs. It's not to confuse the fact that there are 22 starters back with they don't have any needs because they do. These guys are older. Uh, they need to replenish the defensive line, the offensive line, especially inside. So they have needs. But um, because you just simply don't have that many roster spots, you don't need – seven guys to compete, you know, for seven, you, you know, a lot of, you know, some years if you had seven draft picks, all seven would make the damn team. And that didn't say, that didn't say great things about your draft or about your team. Sometimes it was, you know, the guy you took in the seventh round was better than what you had, which is a sometimes a bad indictment. Um, but in this case, it's true because you have so many spots and even backup spots, you know, with Stevie McClendon and, and Ross Cockrell in that. So, 
I think that they're in a really unique position. If they wanted to package picks this year, because, again, you're all in for Tom Brady, right? You're trying to go back-to-back. Who knows if he'll play after 2021? He has a contract, but it's also easy to back out of it. Um, you, you're in this window where you want to go for it right now. If there were a player um, towards the middle or the bottom of the first round, I would think more closer to the middle or the top, that you just felt, you know what, this guy is going to be um, – you know, the kind of kind of player we can build around for years and years to come. He can help us now. He can help us this year. Um, but more than, than that, uh, you know, he, he's he's so much better than what we would get if we sat here. And we don't have that many spots anyway. Why don't we package a bunch, bunch of picks and move up uh, and grab that, that one piece, that one guy, um, you know, that can help you this year and in the future. And you, you just feel like he's more of a can't-miss type prospect and and I could see them doing that simply because um if you draft seven guys how many make the team three four um you know it might be really really hard so I I think you know and and by the same token and you mentioned this like stockpiling picks for down the road well you may need have to rebuild this team a little bit because the salary cap is going to get you they pushed a lot of these contracts to 2022 23 and beyond and you're not going to have the use of those veteran players. They're going to they're going to stop playing. Their contracts are going to end, or you know, there's all these voidable years that they just threw on there, like with Gronkowski and others, simply to lower the cap value. So you may want to start, you know, building up some some positions, knowing that you don't have to play these guys right away, knowing that they can kind of have a red shirt year or part of a year. That might be a way to go too. So it's really interesting, and I think. All these things are discussed. You have contingencies for the contingencies. But a lot of it really depends just on how the draft falls, right? If a bunch of quarterbacks, and I mean more than three or four, start popping into the first round and pushing some really good players to the middle or below the middle of the first round, and these guys would have typically gone, you know, in the top 10, top 15 for sure. You know, if the Bucks saw somebody there, they're in a unique position. They, they can certainly package things and move up. Um, because their, their football team doesn't have a lot of openings. So I don't know what they'll do ultimately, um, but it's certainly, it's certainly going to be interesting to see, and we'll have to wait a while if they do stay at 32. It's going to be interesting to see if they, if they become really aggressive because they have nothing to lose. They've, they've got their veteran football team. They know they can win a Super Bowl. They have to try to repeat it with the same guys, um, but they're in, a, they're in a unique position where they're picking. All right, John asked, in every draft, there's talk about drafting developmental players. Can you recall any Buck draft pick from memory who was developmental, meaning very raw or coming into a new position from college that did well on the team? Off the top of my head, I can't think of any. All right. Off the top of my head, which is a dangerous place to live, I'm going to say the guy I think they drafted sort of as a developmental player, only in this sense. They, they thought a lot of them because they took him in the second round. I don't think they had a clue where to play him, and they never could find a spot. And that's Noah Spence. Noah Spence was was the number one high school recruit in the nation, went to Ohio State, got involved with uh, uh, some drugs and things, ecstasy, whatnot, um, left there, ended up at Eastern Kentucky, as my memory serves, mm-hmm. and was, you know – Probably going to be better in a 3-4 as a stand-up edge rusher, uh, which we would call an outside linebacker, similar to you know 
what Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaq Barrett do now. Um, but at the time, they ran a 4-3. And, you know, so they, <laughs> you know, his, his asset was speed and his ability to, you know, sort of run sideline to sideline, hunt the ball carry. He wasn't a great natural pass rusher. Um, you know, he beat guys with his athleticism in, in high school and, and was a monster. But when he got to college and you had guys bigger than him, he found it tough to uh, you know to use his strength. He 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 lacked a bull rush or any kind of counter moves, and so Spence was almost from the beginning like he's one of those guys where he comes in there. Uh, and Keith McCants suffered from this a little bit too. Keith was a way better player both in the pros and college, but uh, you know right away it's oh you're a four three defensive end you need to put on some weight. Well, he put on some weight and then he was just like a slug. Uh, then it was, oh, you need to drop some weight. So he dropped some weight. And depending on who the defensive coordinator of the scheme was at the time, he just kept yo-yoing. Um, and every year we'd write the proverbial, hey, this is Noah Spence's year. He's, he's going to be the guy. He's, he, he's got a chance to start and all this stuff. He wouldn't win the job. He, he would have very few sacks. And, you know, ultimately they ended up cutting ties with him. It was a very high second-round pick that they used. And, boy, talk about a bad draft. I mean, um, Vernon Hargraves was their first pick, right, like 11 overall, I think. So that that was a stinker of a draft. Another guy that, that maybe they should have considered a transitional player was Mark Barron. They, they took him mm-hmm. uh, in, the, in, the second, in the first round uh, over Luke Keekley, who was on the board for Carolina. Now, you know, they eventually got Levante David in the second, but – Man, I mean, Mark Barron came in to be their strong safety, you know, big hitter, big guy. Turns out he didn't have a ton of range, and ultimately he ends up with the Rams because they trade him, and he ends up with the Rams, and he becomes a linebacker, which kind of was more suited to what he did. He could cover tight ends. He was a, he was a, a, a little bit oversized for a safety, um, but he could play in the box. That was probably his strength was playing the run. So they moved him closer to the line of scrimmage, and it worked. Then there were a couple of receivers that I remember that that just I thought, you know, they 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 kind of took them as athletes a little bit, and they neither one of them really amounted to anything. Maurice Stovall, uh, who went to uh, Notre Dame, um, became, for lack of any production as a receiver, kind of a special teams maven. You know, he was kind of that guy. Uh, that found a niche running down and making tackles on special teams, which is not something to, to be underrated. But at some point when you take a wide receiver, you know, you, you have to make the team by playing special teams. But eventually you want to be that guy, right, one of the top two. He never really got there. And then Marquise Walker, who might have been one of the worst receivers I saw coming out of college at Michigan, um, and John Gruden, you know, they didn't have a first-round or second-round pick for a couple of years because of the bounty they gave up to the Raiders for Gruden. And so this one year, Walker was actually their first pick. He was third in, in round three, but he was their first pick, and he rode him like a mule, man. He was he was just so uh, on top of Walker. And I remember John getting mad. He couldn't remember the, the plays and didn't know where to go, where to line up. And, and, and John was just at wit's end with him. Uh, and ultimately, he did nothing in the NFL. So, yeah, those would be the ones that come to mind. Um Let's you say like Josh Freeman, who probably should have been a soccer goalie instead of a instead of a quarterback. As it turns out, he had more interest in that. But um, but no, I 
I think of Noah Spence when you when you talk about players like that. Where hey, sounds like a great idea, developmental guy, really good athlete. We don't know where we're going to play him, and then you know you wind up going down the drain because you should have had a plan for the guy. All right, let's ask Rick. I know you're tight with RG, so have you gotten any insights on the Bucks' 2021 schedule? I'm afraid that the Bucks might draw the Falcons in London. Don't want our guys to make that trip, but know the NFL would love to have the defending champs in London. Well, I am tight tight with RG, and of course, when when you say RG, um, you're not talking about Robert Griffin. You're talking about Roger Goodell, um, and so uh, RG tells RG one, not three. <laughs> it's exactly not RG three, RG one. Good point. And and RG tells me from his uh, New York office um, when we were uh, talking on the phone the other day and exchanging advice, um, him asking it from me. Uh, he said that you know what, Rick. Tell your Bucks fans not to worry about the Bucks playing in London this year or playing the Falcons over there because it is a Falcons home game. Because we we don't want we frown upon playing division games, interdivision games uh, across the pond because they mean too much. And so, you know, we, didn't the we Bucks wanna... play Carolina over there a couple years ago? Well, and see, you bring up a great point. Um, but I have read where it is not going to be a division opponent. Uh, I don't know that it won't be an NFC opponent, but um, like I said, I'm, I've been given some scheduling assurances on this one that it won't be the Bucks and it won't be a, an opponent from the NFC South. Because that would be great for the Bucks. Like, hey, take two teams and wear them out, right? Like, <laughs> let them both go over there. It's a long <laughs> take ass the same trip. While you're there. Yeah, right. Hey, take them. Go. Take the Carolina next week. Jameis played but, well over there. Just go ahead and take him. Oh, yeah. Oh, hey, when you say Bucks in London, right away you just put the L stands for London. No, it doesn't. It stands for loss, okay? Um, they, anytime they go over there, they lose. They've lost to the Bears, the Patriots, and um, God help me, the Carolina Panthers game was maybe one of the worst football games I've seen. That was the Jameis Winston six turnover games. Not all of them on Jameis, however. Um, Got to be clear about that because there's a lot of people that, you know, think that I'm spring-loaded for negativity with Jameis, which I'm not. Um, but I – you know, that's I, – I think he's safe there. Was there more about the schedule, or was he just interested in, in the Falcons not drawing the Bucks? in Just in one Falcons drawing the Bucks in line. Yeah. No, you're good. You're good. The, the bigger question is, and I don't have the answer to this yet, RG's going to let me know soon, uh, and that is when the Bucks open, assuming, again, they don't have to play on the road like John Gruden's Super Bowl champs did, if they open at home on that Thursday night football, um, who will they play? And typically – it's a, an NFC team that also is not a division opponent um, because, you know, the, the rivalry would be, you know, them playing at, you know, playing here against New Orleans and Jameis Winston in week one. Um, so I tend to think that that means um, if it's an NFC team, it almost has to be the Cowboys. Well, I think the Cowboys are the Bears. And you say, well, the Bears, they stink. Well, yeah, but it's also the number two market or number three yeah. market in the country. It's the whole Midwest. They have a huge following in Chicago, and Chicago's a big city. Hope Springs Eternal, week one. But I would agree with you with, I think, Dallas. If I were, if I were handicapping it now, if you go AFC, if they, if they do decide, you know, mm-hmm. all the hell with it, let's make it an AFC team. Um, just for the sake that, you know, they were in the AFC championship game, you got to look at Buffalo. Absolutely. You got to look at Buffalo. Now you're playing the AFC East, so it could potentially be Miami. You could have an all Florida, and Miami's supposed to be very, very good, right? So you could have an all Florida type. But I think in order to capture the imagination of the country, um, you know, you either go Buffalo and draw in that New York audience, which again is not New York City, but it's still the state of New York. 
Um, but the guy, I really believe that the Cowboys, I tell you, we're going to you know, measure ourselves against the world champions. I could see that happening. Um, I really could. But the schedule is going to be after the draft. It's going to be draft and then very shortly after that, schedule. So that's the, sometimes, you know, in, in the past, it would always be the schedule would come out just before the draft around April 25th or so. Um, but more and more, they, they've kind of pushed that back. I think they realize that the draft is a big enough animal that they can actually, you know, save something for the month of May. And uh, everybody loves when the schedule comes out because that's when you go, okay, let me look at this schedule, man. Win, win, win. 17 and old man. Don't forget there's 17 games this year, too. Mm-hmm. That'll be different. Yep. All right. Speaking of the draft, Kyle asked, a writer for the NFL ranked Jason Light as the third best general manager in the league since 2015 based on draft classes. Is it just me or is that a little too generous of a rating? Um, well, I'd have to consider one and two. Uh, no, I listen. I think there's some probably recency bias, but for good reason because they're the Super Bowl champs. So you you have to look at how they got here. Uh, and how they got here was they, they attracted, right, the best quarterback of all time. And they attracted the GOAT. And not because he likes the warm weather, although that was a bonus. And um, he's on the East Coast, which certainly is closer to his son in New York than if he were on the West Coast. There were some geographical things working for them. Um, and I think Bruce Arians being the head coach was a was a – a plus because obviously he could talk to Peyton Manning or Carson Palmer. Bruce has had plenty of celebrity quarterbacks with Ben Roethlisberger and others. So, you know, he kind of knew what he was getting in there. Um, but he, he predominantly chose Tampa Bay because of the talent, because of what Jason Light had assembled. Um, this was a plug and play team and Tom Brady knew it. And he knew it was that way on both sides of the ball, not just one. Now, Certainly, we can go back and look at Jason Light's drafts, particularly in the early years, and some of them are god awful. In fact, I think one whole class has you know hit the Bermuda Triangle. They don't exist anymore, um, so that's not a good thing. You know, I'm talking about four or five years ago. Yeah, 2016. Um, so it depends was not on good. No, it was horrible. Uh, Vernon Hargraves, was a bad draft throughout. Noah Spence, yeah, Roberto Noah Aguayo, Spence. Ryan Smith, yeah, Caleb Beninock, yeah. Devontae Bond, yeah. Danny Vitale. Yeah, all gone, all, all, and most of them out of the NFL in, in total uh, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it was, it, was, it was a terrible draft. And I always say this, too. It just seems to me that if you get your first draft pick, whenever that is, whether you have a draft pick in the first round or not, whatever you take that first guy, if you get, it seems to me if you get the first one right, um, the other ones seem to fall into place. I don't know why that is, but that just is. And Vernon Hargraves was the wrong guy. Mm-hmm. Um, wrong guy for the defense. Not you know they thought he was a ball hawk. You know, uh, does he play man? Was he his own guy? What are you asking him to do? Just didn't work out. Coming back to his home more or less here in Tampa. Um, I don't think that was necessarily good for him. And you miss on that, and then you miss on Spence as we just talked about, and then you're 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 two thirds of the way and to a trade it up for draft. Aguayo and yeah, and the, the Aguayo thing was just a mess. And then you know you chase the kicker a few years later with Matt Gay. Um, so there's been mistakes. There's been a ton of mistakes, but they've learned from their mistakes. And to me, you know, Jason has been very, uh, very, shall we say, fortunate because the Glazers stuck with him at a at, at a point where they would have been well within their rights to say, nah, this is not the leader for us. You know, they went through 
a lot of head coaches after Lovey Smith who who came in with Jason or Lovey was here and then hired Jason for all intents and purposes. But they went through a lot of a lot of coaches. It just didn't work, you know. Uh, and you know whether that Greg what uh, after after Lovey Smith it was. Um, uh, Dirk, Dirk Cutter, Cutter yeah. right, and so so Dirk, you know, had had one winning season, and then things fell apart, and and that was the early part of Winston, and um, you know, you, you struggled even with uh, you know the hiring of, of Bruce Arians in that first year, and Jameis throwing thirty interceptions, you go seven and nine, um, but but because he had assembled a really good roster, it attracted Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. Brady knew there was talent here. Um, they drafted a lot of defensive backs. They built the defense, and they hired good coaches with Bruce. His staff came in with Todd Bowles and Byron Leftwich and Clyde Christians and all these guys. And because of that, um, I think that's why it kind of took off. And the piece they were missing, like most teams or a lot of teams, mm-hmm. is the quarterback, and we saw what happened. So I don't I don't think that three is, is too high for a Super Bowl champion that – not only is position to win it again, right? Because free agency is should be part of this calculation. But now they have position to win it again. They have twenty two starters back, but they've got a young. They've also just got a young nucleus. I mean, when when Brady leaves, whenever that is, they'll need a quarterback. But mm-hmm. so does half the NFL right now. Yep. But they'll still have plenty of good young players. Whether it's a defensive back, how about Devin White? How about you know uh, the offensive lineman that they've drafted mm-hmm. over the last few years? How about the secondary? Uh, with Carlton Davis, and and you know they can be able to retain that's some what, of these that's guys. That's what I was going to say. Is this, this was based on draft classes since fifteen, right? And if you look at the the top three or four picks in every draft class, take out that mm-hmm. sixteen year which we went through, which was awful, right? But in fifteen, it was Jameis Winston, Donovan Smith, Ali Marpet, Quan Alexander. Yeah, I mean, and Jameis Winston's a good NFL quarterback. He made he's not Tom Brady. Oh, he's he threw in the for league. five thousand yards. Yeah, he, he threw, threw for thirty three touchdowns. Yeah, um, and, and Donovan Smith, Ali Marpet, Quan Alexander, all solid NFL players. I mean, you know, two of them are st- you know on the offensive line for the Bucks, and Quan Alexander second. They got yep. second contracts. Yep. Yeah. And seventeen, OJ Howard, Justin Evans, Chris Godwin, your top three picks. No, I mean Godwin, you franchised, mm-hmm. and yeah. you know, so the others are good too. Yeah, really. Eighteen was Veda, Vita Vea, Ronald Jones, your top running back. And you had mm-hmm. MJ Stewart and Carlton Davis, and Alex Kappa was your fifth pick overall. That's an outstanding draft. I mean, mm-hmm. you missed on MJ Stewart, but I mean, look what you got in return for those other guys. Mm-hmm. In nineteen, you had Devin White, Sean Murphy, Bunting, Jamel Dean, Mike Edwards. They're all fantastic. on this team contributing. Fantastic yeah. draft, yeah. And then really twenty twenty, of course, Tristan Wirfs, Antoine Winfield Jr., Keyshawn Vaughn. We don't know a lot about yet. He didn't play a lot. Yeah. Uh, Tyler Johnson was your fifth round pick, which you're high on him as a as a depth receiver on this team. So. If you look at draft classes, I mean, take out that year of 16, which was, you know, a lot of mistakes in that draft. Mm-hmm. But the other ones, I mean, you know, Jason Light's hitting on more than he's missing by far in the early rounds. Yeah. And hitting big, too. Like, not mm-hmm. not just getting guys that and, – and, again, we we can't sit here with all the, the resumes and say they all made a ton of Pro Bowls. They didn't. Mm-hmm. But they did make some, and they're going to make more. And, like, Devin White is just starting, right? And yep. Carlton Davis and some of these guys Tristan now that Wirfs. they – Tristan, I think I will. I will. It's going to be a, a contest between 2020 or 2019. What ends up being Jason Light's best draft? There's a chance that Tristan Wirfs and Antoine Winfield go to a whole bunch of Pro Bowls, and one of those guys may wear a gold jacket. Um, and I think it's Wirfs, by the way. It could be. It could be the you know Winfield too. But I mean, what more could you get out of rookies with no training camp, no free agency? 
you realize that you know Worfs gave up one sack in over a thousand and sixty-seven snaps mm-hmm. in the NFL. Are you kidding me? With no training camp, and and you know Winfield filled out every stat category there was, um, including you know an inter- a big interception in the Super Bowl. Um, you know, played well beyond his years. And he wasn't perfect. He made some mistakes, but for the most part, he was really, really more than solid and, and just a guy that has a huge upside still. Um, so, I mean, you know, and then you have Tyler Johnson who didn't get on the field much, but when he did, how about the catch on third down in New Orleans with mm-hmm. the Saints looking to, to add? How about, you know, um, the inter- pass interference against Green Bay that sealed the game? Um, you know, th- there was a lot of plays that he made that were enormous plays at enormous times. And, and you know, they'll get more from some of the other guys in that draft class as well. I'm not ready to give up on those guys. So, yeah, I, I think I think when you look at the roster and you say, hey, you know, who can, can they, is there anybody they can't line up against? Well, no, they, they can line up against anybody. And because of free agency, and, and I think you give them a big – you know, a big credit for getting Tom Brady here because he had built a good team. So I would agree with it. I don't think it's too high. All right, John asks, while there doesn't seem to be a head coach and waiting announcement coming anytime soon from the Bucks, if there were one, do you who do you see is more likely to get the job, Todd Bowles or Byron Leftwich? Uh, well, some of this is going to be timing. Um, if it happened today might be different than if it happened at the end of this season. And I say that because, you know, first of all, Bowles has been a head coach, right? Um, you know, four years with the Jets, had one winning season. His first one, I think they were 10-6. and six. Um, You know, there was, a, there was a, lot of, a lot of reasons why he didn't win as a head coach with the Jets. Do I think he'll be a head coach again? I do. I mean, he had two interviews, really three. He uh, backed out of one with the Lions because he knew they'd already chosen somebody. But I think with another good year, certainly a Super Bowl year, it's going to help Bowles. But it's not a slam dunk that he will be a head coach. You know, unfortunately, and this has just happened too often, you know, um, African-American, there's there's very few of them that are hired. I think this past cycle, there were two minority hires out of seven head coaching vacancies. But you don't see a lot of guys being hired again, getting second chances, right, in in head coaching jobs if you're African American or minority. Um, so I don't know about I don't know about Todd. Certainly he's qualified, and, and and like I said, there were two three teams that were interested a year ago. Although he interviewed but didn't get any. To me, the guy, um, if you were the Bucks, and you know. You look at the trust that Bruce Arians put into Byron Leftwich, who who is an NFL quarterback and was a good one and a first-round pick. Um, for him to come in in his second year of calling plays and take on the monster that is Tom Brady, now you might say, well, hell, I could coach Tom Brady, right? I mean, that guy's great. He's the greatest of all time. Eh, Tom Brady's going to test you like no other quarterback because for the first time you have a player who probably knows more than you. No, who does know more than you. Okay, uh, and has produced at a much higher level. That doesn't mean he can't be coached, or that you can't show him some things that he doesn't know. It doesn't mean that he won't accept coaching because he wants to be coached hard. And Byron knows how to do that. Uh, but first, Byron had to learn how he sees the game. You know, you have to understand who you're coaching before you can coach them. And so, Leftwich, uh, in addition to teaching 
the new offense to Tom Brady, which he hadn't had to learn one in 20, 20 years, Leftwich learned a lot too. And he learned a lot about Brady in particular. Uh, and it didn't always go well. I mean, we were on Byron pretty good. And the thing is, is that Bruce Arians, unlike maybe Andy Reid, you know, you don't know how much Eric Bieniemy really calls plays or really does the game planning. I assure you, Bruce Arians left it all to Byron. He let the offense to Byron. Now, there came a point after the bye week where there was discussions uh, between – they were supposed to play golf and the NFL wouldn't let them, but there was discussions between Brady and Arians, and they did make some ch- some some changes, some tweaks, emphasize certain things, play action, some pre-snap motion, stuff like that. Uh, and they, they caught fire. They, they got some opponents that they beat, and they got hot at the right time, and you could see it was just time on task. It was just more practices, more reps, all of that, and tweaking some things that Tom needed. But to me, at 41 years old, Byron Leftwich, former NFL quarterback, uh, had you know one of the league's top passing games the last two years, um, one of the top op- top ten offenses I think the last couple of years. If you're talking about Brady playing a third year, right, it's unlikely to me he would do that with a new offensive coordinator. So this is part of the calculus too, right? Um, can you keep Byron Leftwich? Now, it's, it's Arian's offense, so if Leftwich were to get a head coaching job, right, Arians could either promote somebody on the staff, Clyde Christensen or somebody else that knows the offense. That And, and, and obviously Tom is, works with Clyde every day as his quarterback's coach. So there's, there's backups to your, to your starters in coaching as well. And maybe that would be okay with Brady. Might be fine. But it seems like you'd be upsetting the apple cart less um, if, if, say, they win a Super Bowl this year and Arian says, you know what, I'm going to be 69 years old or I am 69 years old. I, I, I have won two Super Bowls. I have coached 40-something years. Um, and, and maybe in his mind he says, you know what, I don't want the band to break up because I'm leaving football. I'd like for these guys to stay together, and I'd like you know, for one of my coaches to become the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I know how much respect he has for Todd Bowles. But, again, the quarterback and the offense is going to factor into it. It seems as if most teams, most owners, right, want offensive coordinators or that side of the ball, that offensive side, to become their head coach. Look around the league. How many defensive coaches do you have? I know Robert Saleh got the job, you know, um, with the Jets. But, But more and more, that's what you see. You see guys on the offensive side. The Andy Reid tree, right? Um, you can go on and on, but I, I, I just feel like Leftwich is the one that, because he hasn't been a head coach yet, and you don't have a track record. I think that's the one that catches Arian's eye, and that's why he said for Leftwich not to even get an interview. He said it was it was uh, what was the word he used? Not a fraud. Um, I'm stuck on it. I wrote about it, but I can't remember the word he used. Uh, but basically, he, he didn't understand it. So, to me, you know, you could flip a coin here. You couldn't go wrong with farce. either one. It was a farce. That was it. Uh, but to me, I, I would say Byron Leftwich. If you if you press me on it. Now, I, I could be as wrong as rain. I, I have no idea. I haven't talked. They're certainly not going to announce, you know, what the coach-in-waiting thing is if there is one. Um, but but that that would be a pretty good guess, I think, on my part. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. 
So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, Randall asks, could the defensive miscues at times by the Rays and the Yanks this weekend be somewhat explained by the dead in baseball? Also seems more than just Willie Adamas is surprised a fly ball isn't staying in the park now. Or is staying in the park now, I should say. I had not thought about this question until they asked it. I want to, whoever, who's, who's the guy that asked it again? Randall. Randall, congratulations. Question of the day. Question to borrow Dan Patrick's. You got the what? Question of the day. Um, this is an outstanding question, and, and what I it, it's it's irrefutable that the ball has been deadened. Baseball told us it would be, and I think uh, I think it's been good because I think you do see more balls in play, you see opportunities for guys to make catches. Um, not everybody's going out there. You know, the the end game is that you hope that they just don't go up there and try to hit everything out because it's not all going out. Um, and you change some of the batter's approach because it was becoming just a launch fest. It would look like home run derby, strikeout or, or home run. Um, that That is starting to change, and I think for the better. But I think it's an awesome observation because, you know, if you're used to, to playing with these Super Bowls that are, you know, as soon as it's hit, it's over your head, uh, and you're used to these things being charged out of the stadium – and then all of a sudden, you know, you hear the contact, you see the swing, and you go back to the point where you thought the baseball was going to be, and it's 10 yards in front of you, that would explain it. I mean, it truly, really would. It's just a white sphere coming at you. You can't really see the speed off the bat, right? You're just trying to anticipate it based on sound and swing, um, and that's hard. That's a hard thing to do. So I I would completely buy into that theory. I think that there probably are some defensive miscues as a result of just that. Yeah, I, I didn't. When I first saw the question, my first gut reaction was no. But then I was like, wait a minute. It's, I mean, it's very possible that, you know, much like the ball isn't going as far. I mean, that's got, you know, if you're surprised when you hit the ball and it doesn't go out, then the fielding's got to be the same way. Right. You know, it's kind of it, like it, it's kind of like a drop shot in tennis, right? When you when you execute a really good drop shot, mm-hmm. you're going to bring the racket back as far as you would for for a forehand, right? Yep. And then you're going to slice it or you're going to cut it. You're going to do something to deaden that ball. But the person who's on the other end of the court, they're not, they're not charging the net because they think you're taking a full damn swing. Yep. It isn't until after there's contact that they realize, oh, that ball's not going anywhere, and then they're done. Um, I, I think that's what it is. I think they, you, know, you, mm-hmm. you, you really play outfield and infield to some extent. You play it based on sound and the fury of the swing. Now, you don't always know if a, if a ball is hit off the handle – but you can hear it, right? You mm-hmm. can hear a well-struck ball versus one that's down on the barrel a little bit. And because of that, you know, that, that kind of makes your movement either fast or slow. It's faster if it's a slow-hit ball. It's slower if it's a hard-hit ball. You know, that's, that's sort of how you move. So it makes sense that, you know, if you think a ball is juiced and it's got the trajectory, it's in the air, it's got the, it's got the flight angle, right? You see, you see the bat, you hear the contact, you see the ball coming up at a certain angle – and you may think it's this thing's going off the wall at best, and then you realize it's just not traveling. And the reason it's not traveling is they deaden the ball. I mean, it makes it makes tremendous sense to me. I apologize to Austin Meadows 
for his boxing of the two baseballs in right field that Chris Archer suffered uh, many, many games ago. But, yeah, I, I think it's something. I think you're on to something. All right, Brantley asked, what do the Rays do about Yoshi Satsugo? He just hasn't played well at all, and with Choi coming back at some point, do they cut him or leave him on the bench? Um, the Choi thing is going to be interesting. You know, they don't have many options with him. Um, they did invest some money. Let's see how he plays until, you know, until there is going to be a, a, a move to make. Well, we're recording Injuries this on Monday be afternoon before the Monday night right. game. And, right. you know, he had the game-winning hit Sunday. That's correct. Let's see if that instills some confidence and gets his back yeah. going a little bit too. Yeah, you know we're, we are what sixteen games. We're ten percent of the way through the season. We're sixteen games in. You know this is like let me you know, say this a though, game or about, two in the NFL season, and that's all that you're in at this point. It hopefully will instill some confidence. But let me see, say something about that hit. That was a mistake, right? That was a mistake pitch. Mm-hmm. I mean, here you are facing a guy who is for all the world and this is why i'm not sold on yoshi just yet mm-hmm. he can't catch up to a major league fastball right now uh, i don't know why but he's not he is bad as not being quick enough to handle high velocity pitches that was sort of the case a year ago you thought well maybe it's just the adjustment look they don't throw that hard in the japan league consistently i mean you got guys you know coming out of the pen and they're, they're throwing 98 97 96 consistently and he's having trouble that was a changeup. Like I, I have no idea why you would throw a guy and speed up his bat when he's already having trouble getting around on baseballs. And so, I think I think it was a mistake. He hit a mistake. Good for him. Maybe he can hit more mistakes. Um, like any at bat, you know, the pitcher's going to make a pitcher's pitch. The 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 batter's going to get one that he needs to handle. Um, that will be your pitch, and then the rest of them are the umpire, you know, to decide. But uh, if you miss your pitch, um you're going to have a tough tough at bat and i just feel like that was that was that was a horrible pitch selection and i'm and it was but but no it only sometimes that's what it takes i mean hitting like anything else sports is confidence that's all it is man it's it's what you can block out how you feel going up there your muscles will react better um you know it's just that's all it is and and so whether one game one at bat one uh rbi that that put them ahead against the yankees is enough I have no idea. I tend to think it's not. And the thing is, there's already enough pressure on his bat because he's a liability on defense. There's really nowhere you can play the guy. You're, you're more or less trying to hide him as much as anything. And, and first base is not necessarily a good place to hide a player. Um, so because of that, he's a left-handed DH. You know, uh, that limits his, his at-bats in and of himself. There's other options down there. If guys have days off. I, I just... I don't see it, but I'm willing to willing to give him, you know, until until they need his roster spot. I'm willing to see just whether or not he can turn it around. But for one day at least, uh, you know, they got – and the thing is, too, and, and I think Neil Solon said this, he doesn't have to be the man, right? Like no one's mm-hmm. – you know, no one's asking you to, you know, hey, bat clean up, uh, hit 30 and drive in 100, 110. No one's expecting that. Just be a man. Just be one of the guys, right? Extend the lineup to where you have not just five good hitters, but six or maybe seven. Because we know when you get down to Adamas and you get down to, you know, maybe you're catching, although the, the young kid is really wearing a ball out right now. Mejia? I think, uh, I think Mejia may end up taking a job. 
Um, but you know, you want you want to have a lineup that's productive all the way through, but at least make it as deep as possible. And that's what if Yoshi can do that. You know, you you don't have to be the guy that's batting cleanup or even leadoff, which was insane, by the way. Um, you know that that Kevin Cash needs to carry the team. You just need to be a contributor, and that's what he did the other day. All right, we'll end on this. And our good friend Tommy Leverone wrote. Hey, Rick, do you think Tyler Johnson will be a healthy scratch come the playoffs for the Lightning when Stamkos and Kucherov should be back come playoff time? I mean, do the math on this. There's likely to be other injuries, but, you know, Steve, it just it just seems like they can't find a comfortable spot for him. He's kind of been all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's now, what, the center on the fourth line? Is that what he's doing now? That's what they've had in the last, the last two game? games with uh, Alex Barry Boulay on the first line and... Ross Colton moving up to the second line as they're trying to shift things around, trying to get the offense going. Now they just they played him so many different places that I I don't know if that's on him or them, but um, you know center. I mean the good thing about center is you're you're always moving right. Well, he's and, always and his, he's always played better at center. Yeah, I mean, th- but that makes sense, right? Because mm-hmm. you know you, his thing is speed. It's not going to be size. And when you when you play on the wing, a lot of times you have to stop and go and you know uh, wait for passes or whatnot. So I kind of I kind of think maybe he'll be uh, rejuvenated a little bit, um, but I mean Tyler Johnson. I mean they were one they were, they weren't going to keep him to start the season. They were willing to opt you know to have him picked up by another team, and then two, um, he hasn't been a big goal scorer for them in a, in a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. So I guess you know when you see guys like Ross Golton, um, you know come up and Barry Boulay and others. If these cats can play, um, yeah, I could see him as a scratch. Well, if Stamkos and Kucherov are both back healthy for the playoffs, that means you've got to open two spots on the current top 12 that are playing, mm-hmm. which you would presume would be Alex Barry-Belay would be the first one out, most likely. Not that he's done anything to warrant it. But you also mm-hmm. have Mitchell Stevens, who's been a healthy scratch the last two games. Right. And, and John Cooper on, on Monday after the morning skate mentioned, was asked about, Mitchell Stevens and he says you know you know right now we're playing the guys that we think give us the best chance to win but you know we also have an opportunity to play some young guys and see what they've got I mean they kind of know what they have in Mitchell Stevens Mm -hmm. he's still a young guy but Alex Barry Belay who's now at what five games or something in his NHL career you know they're giving him a shot to kind of see what he can do so that they have a better idea come playoff time you know what each guy gives them on the roster but if you assume Alex Barry Belay's out one more forward has to come out to bring both Stamkos and Kucherov, assuming no injuries, of course. And a lot of times, yeah. this stuff works itself out. It anyway. works itself, yeah. But mm-hmm. if not, then you have to decide, is Tyler Johnson a healthy scratch? Are you taking Matthew Joseph out? Or are you taking Ross Colton? Um, I, I don't know anybody else you would take off. I, I think those would be the ones you'd have to consider. Uh, I mean, you, I mean could, Joseph you could scratch could Pat Maroon, but come playoff mm-hmm. time, I think you want his size and grit and some of his sandpaper yeah. that he brings. It was um, fighting. You know, Saturday night, it was it was interesting. You remember the Gudis hit on Thursday night against oh, the Panthers. Yeah. And we thought he was going to be hunting them. Right. So pregame, as they're doing their – they're getting ready to do their line rushes. And I'm watching this. And it's Pat Maroon, it's Luke Shen, and David Savard just skating back and forth at the center ice from one side of the, the rink to the other, between the red and the blue line. And they're doing this for a few minutes, just waiting for Gudis and anybody else to have a little conversation and to show that, hey, we're not scared. We're ready for you. I mean, it's three of your biggest 
grittiest, meanest guys on the team. The only one you were missing out there was Eric Chernak doing it. But it was Maroon, it was Shen, it was Savard. And they were out there for several minutes, and eventually Maroon had a conversation with Gudis. It was, you know, looked innocent enough. It wasn't, you know, heated, but it was to send a message. And, you know, I mean, Pat Maroon does that for your team. And come playoff time, that's a huge thing. So I don't see Pat Maroon being a scratch. So at that point, then it, it, it presumably it's Colton, it's Joseph, Tyler Johnson, based on his production this year. You know, I mean, you're not taking out Braden Point. You're not taking out Alex or uh, Andre Palat. You're probably not taking out Alex Kalorn or Sorelli. You're not taking out Gord or Coleman or Gaudreau. Uh, you know, I mean, so, you know, just going through the roster, I mean, Tyler Johnson very well could be a healthy scratch for some playoff games, assuming you don't have a bunch of other injuries that precludes that. Makes sense. I, you know, we're still not that far from the playoffs, but um, it's good that they have these decisions. I mean, first and foremost, you want to have that, that those options right there. By the time you hear this podcast Tuesday morning, there's 11 games left in the regular season. Gosh, it's hard to believe, isn't it? Yep. And going into Monday night, now we're taping this before Monday night's game. The Lightning's magic number to make the playoffs is 10. So five mm. more wins of their next 12 games, and they're in the playoffs without anybody else doing anything else. So. Yeah, well, these next few, I mean, it's going to decide whether they, they can get to first or, yep. you know, where they're going to finish. But, um, you know, they, they've got some tough games coming up, that's for sure. Well, uh, it was a good mailbag. I appreciate you guys uh, sending in your questions. You can do that anytime you want to. We don't have to wait for a call for that. We do it every week generally, but you can send us those questions uh, on Twitter at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. My email address is rstroud at Tampa Bay. Dot com and we've got Tom Jones as we normally do this week as well and we'll be talking a lot of Rays as they begin and continue their series in Kansas City see if they can mm-hmm. uh, stay on a bit of a of a roll here on this road trip uh, certainly got off to a good start with the sweep uh, with the Yankees but we'll see if uh, how they finish it up here in Kansas City Lightning are so, in yeah. action again tonight against Carolina in the back to back so yeah that's going to be a, a, a tough turnaround for them as well. So thanks for listening. Uh, We will be here every Monday through Friday, as you know. For Steve Bursnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.